Thank you for listening to this message from Tree of Life Church. Our prayer is that it will be a blessing to you and that you will find it helpful for life. So open up your heart to receive God's word for you. Part two, Matthew two. Matthew two, part two of our three-part series called The Gift. Coming up to the end of the year, I always look at a holiday series and and message, and it's kind of hard, you know I mean? You keep doing the same thing over and over again, which is not a bad thing because there's always life there. It brings things alive because the word is alive, amen? Just felt led to go a little bit different, look at a little different perspective this time. We're looking at the story of the three wise men or the gifts that they brought, which has been fascinating to me. I've known a lot of things that I'll share in just a moment as far as like facts about it all. Um, It's not really accurate when we look at a nativity scene to include the three wise men. I don't want to crush anybody and don't throw away all your nativity scenes. Actually, I've gone through the house and saw about half of ours have the three wise men on there. And I'm like, we're getting rid of that one. That is false. That is not correct at all. It's heresy. And uh, no, we're not doing that. But, uh, and we still have some for sale out there, three wise men. So buy them all, please. The mission store. It all goes to missions. <laughs> I can suffer three wise men on my nativity scene if my money goes to missions, right? That's what it is. Uh, but it's interesting to me. And there had to be some kind of amazing specific reason why God set things up the way he set things up. Nothing's ever happenstance in scripture and it just didn't happen that way. God had planned all of it. And so in looking at the story of the three wise men, we know a few things. Number one, we don't know actually that there were just three. We know there's three gifts. So we associate it to three different wise men, but there could have been dozens and probably because they traveled. I don't know if you know this, they traveled over 900 miles from modern-day Iran or Persia to get to where Jesus was at the time. And so they probably did not do that with just three people. You can imagine there needing to be a caravan or a group of people coming. Um, when they got to Jesus, he was, uh, scholars will say, because of timing and scripture and historical records, that he was more likely about 18 months old. It wasn't about the birth in the manger, because when the star had shown and all the prophecies that the wise men had studied, they began their journey, and it took them a while to get there. And it says, we read it, that Jesus, we see it in the scripture that they arrived at the home, wasn't a stable at the time. And the three wise men were very educated, highly educated, very wealthy. And let me say this, very important men, because when you look at the Christmas story, King Herod, who was an evil king of the day, they had an audience with him. They were able to get before the king. So they met with King Herod and they were talking about a king that was, that was born. And so King Herod was suspicious. And then he had set into motion the plan to kill all the children, male children, two years and under. Why did he set two years? Because enough time had passed that he was more than likely between 18 months and two years old. So a lot of things point that. Now, I only say that to say that The only reason I say that is because there's something significant then about their involvement in the story. We typically associate it, and if we could do it for just a moment, take a look for a moment. We typically associate it with what happened at the manger, but I think it has more to do with the cross than the manger based on the gifts that were brought. And I think actually, and let me just say it right here as we get started, I have both of these up here because the more I've been studying this out personally and then diving in and, and listening and praying and reading and investigating myself, the more I, I'm looking at the birth of Christ and the manger scene, the more I look at the manger and I see the cross, just to be honest with you. And so that's why as it's progressing every week in me, these things are coming out and I wanted today to have a manger and cross and draw some comparisons to them and and bring those things together. So Matthew 2, 10 through 11, I just set it up for you. Here we go. New Living Translation. When they saw the star, the wise men of the Magi, they were filled with joy. They entered the house, there we go, and saw the child, not the infant or the baby, but the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. And they opened up their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. What's interesting to me as a picture 
of three highly educated, very important, wealthy men who traveled over 900 miles with very specific gifts coming and bowing down to a toddler. <laughs> and I thought it doesn't really surprise me the more I thought about it because to really be honest, we've all bowed down to toddlers. I mean, just like, whatever you want, take it, please, just stop crying, right? In restaurants, we bow down all the time when we negotiate with them or whatever. But it's interesting to me, their uh, bowing down in the moment was significant and symbolic of what was to come. And so with the gifts we talked about, you'll see it in your notes, your live notes. Um, this is a reminder, gold, they brought gold. We'll get to that next week. And it was representative of Jesus, our King, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Amen. Frankincense last week, Jesus, our high priest and the role that Jesus was born to fulfill as a high priest and how he took upon our sin, how he took our place and exchanged his robe of righteousness, the innocent one, and gave it to those that were guilty so we could be white as snow as well. And then today we're gonna talk about myrrh, and myrrh speaks to Jesus, our sacrificial lamb. Jesus, our sacrificial lamb. Now myrrh, let's talk about that for a second. Myrrh is the, uh, is the gift today, and myrrh, when you study out in the scripture, it was used 17, to- 17 times in the Bible, a couple of those associated with Jesus. One of those was a time when Jesus was on the cross. If you'll remember when he was being crucified, um, he had already been beaten. He was up on the cross, been nailed there, was hanging there, suffering. And they offered him a sponge. They dipped it in, they, 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 dipped, they offered him a sponge of wine and myrrh. And the reason for that is because myrrh would dull the pain. Myrrh was something that would dull the pain. Well, Jesus rejected that because Jesus wanted to experience his punishment in the fullness of it because he truly wanted to take our place and experience everything that we'd experienced. So myrrh was offered to alleviate suffering, but Jesus refused it because he needed to suffer. And then myrrh was also used, maybe you know this, but myrrh was also used as an um, embalming solution. They would, as they prepared the body for death before burial, they would use myrrh to embalm the body, signifying death and its finality. And then uh, we'll get to this in a moment, but uh, the myrrh that would be used, the things that to prepare his body never got used on him. And uh, because one thing I believe, because God always intended for his death not to be final, but for them he'd be resurrected again. And so... The wise men brought myrrh and embalming fluid, symbolizing that this savior, this child that was born, this this king that came to the earth, this God in the flesh was born to die. The embalming fluid, if you will, that was used to to dull pain and and to uh, alleviate suffering and then to signify the finality of death was talking about the sacrificial lamb of Jesus because he was to suffer and die for you and I. I love that picture. And it begs the question to me that why did God set this whole encounter a year and a half up a year and a half later than everything that we celebrate in this moment, in this season we celebrate, right? The, the birth of a savior and all the things associated with that. But I'm getting ahead of myself, but let's go back and get back on track here. And so again, myrrh would symbolize pain and death, suffering and sacrifice. And it represents the suffering of Jesus, the sacrifice of Jesus, the lamb of God who was born to die for the forgiveness of sins. Let's take a look now in the Old Testament passage from the prophet Isaiah. You can turn for me to prophet, uh, you can turn to me to prophet Isaiah book 53, <laughs> Isaiah 53. And uh, before we get there, while you're turning there, here's what's fascinating to me about Isaiah. Uh, let Let me say it in this way. Now, what would you think about me if I was able to predict every game today, NFL game, predict the winners and losers and the exact score? That would be pretty amazing. Now, probably a lot of us could go through and pick the winners and losers. Maybe we could do that. 
At least we know the Cowboys probably won't win, sadly. But, you know, anyways, we can predict that confidently, maybe. I don't know. And I'm a Cowboys fan. And uh, so, but what if I could tell you that I could tell you the exact score? I could tell you exactly how everything was going to happen. And that would be pretty amazing. Everybody would want to be my friend, and then you'd all ask me for lottery numbers. <laughs> Which, if you do win, by the way, 10% goes to God. Anyway, so... What if I were to tell you if this was even possible, and who knows what it's going to be like 700 years from now, actually we'll be in heaven, but, uh, or on the earth, but what if I could tell you 700 years from now, I could tell you exactly the two teams that would be in the Super Bowl, I could tell you who wins, and I could tell you the exact score. That would make me just kind of like a prophet like no other. Well, that's really, if I could draw that analogy, that is Isaiah. 700 years before Jesus is born, he prophesies everything that would happen to him and in, and in great detail. And it's amazing to me. And it's part of our Christmas story. We're going to take a look at that. So um, when prophet Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah is writing these things, keep in mind, it's 700 years before the birth of Christ. And he writes a very, very detailed account of what Jesus, the sacrificial lamb, would endure on our behalf. So let's start talking about why we needed a sacrifice, because we have a very real problem, you and I. Why did a savior need to come to the earth? So when we celebrate the manger, let's not forget there's a reason why there's a manger. <laughs> there's a reason why he came. And, and, and I want to be, be mindful today. I'm not, I'm not making this kind of, this is not like downer message. It really, when we understand the true power of the representation of myrrh and what Jesus came to do and who he became, it really brings a greater sense of celebration and, and worship and honor and glory to God in the highest. And so when we take a look in Isaiah 53, we'll see our real problem. Let's start with our problem. The reason why we needed a manger and the reason why we needed a cross. We needed there to be a savior and there had to be a sacrifice. So Isaiah 53, six through seven says this, all of us like sheep. I'm gonna stop for a second because some of us would think like, oh, he, that's so sweet of Isaiah, right? Isaiah's not paying a compliment here. I think it's important to note. All of you like sheep. He wasn't saying, all oh, you like cute little cuddly people, <laughs> you know, to come. <laughs> he was really like kind of a backhanded compliment to you and I because there's nothing super positive at all about sheep. Because sheep, it's interesting how we are compared to sheep. The analogy is here, and, it, and, and it's intentional. And, and some of the characteristics of sheep, and it sounds funny, I spent way too much time studying sheep. But, uh, you know, sheep are not the brightest animals on the planet. They're not. They're not at all. I'm sorry, I don't hope that doesn't offend anybody, but they're not. You don't train sheep. You can train about every other animal. And yes, I think you could probably even miraculously train a cat. But sheep, you cannot they are not the most intelligent animals on the planet. They're not the brightest. It would be something if he said, all of you like lions, right? Yeah. All of you like stallions. All of you like eagles. And he said, all of you like sheep. We are all like sheep. And that's not a good thing. And he says that. He says that because of the characteristics. The sheep are weak. There's no way to defend themselves. There's no sharp teeth with sheep. There's no claws. And we might think, well, is that sheep over that person over there? Anyway, so, okay. No growling to scare away the enemy. They're not fast. They're not agile. And there's no way to blend in. And they can't run away. They can't escape. Sheep are defenseless. No sense of self-preservation. Sheep and sheep are not very smart either. They, they, they don't think for themselves. They tend to follow the crowd. And, and if one sheep does dumb sheep stuff, then the other sheep do dumb sheep stuff too. I got to be really care, careful with my words today. I almost stumbled right there. Oh, okay. Forgive me ahead of time if I do. And maybe a, a drink will help that. True story. 
In 2005, true story, I Googled it, I read it from different accounts and stuff, you can do the same. In 2005, in Turkey, 1,500 sheep followed each other off of a cliff. Just followed each other. Can you imagine like, okay, one, two, can you imagine like sheep number 10? I'm not thinking this is a good idea. And it's like, oh, keep going, just keep going. 1,500, 400 of them died. The first 400, the rest of them landed on a very soft cushioning bed at the bottom of the cliff. <laughs> Thankful for that, they weren't number 400 down to one, right? They were 401 above. We're very grateful for those that went before them. They all just followed, true story, they all just followed each other off the cliff. cliff. Sheep wander. Isaiah said that, and we'll see that here in a second when we read that verse again. Isaiah says, sheep have a tendency to stray. In fact, let's read verse six again. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We all have a tendency to stray. It's not a compliment, and it's just really true and honest, and he's, he's setting us up for what needs to happen. And he says this, we have left, left God's path to follow our own, yet the Lord laid on him the sins of all of us. We have followed our own path. We have left God's and followed our own And the Lord had laid on him the sins of all of us. 700 years before the birth of Jesus, Isaiah prophesied this. Let's take a look at verse 7. It says this, he was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was like a lamb led to the slaughter. And as the sheep is silent before the shears, he did not resist or open his mouth. Isaiah, 700 years before, prophesied of him and who he was. Let's take a look in Isaiah 53 and verse 3 now. Take a look at what Jesus would do for us. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. He knew what you were feeling. He understands your every emotion and pain and hurt. But we turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried, not his own. It was our sorrows that weighed him down, and we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, uh, from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole, and he was whipped so we could be healed. That was what Jesus, the sacrificial suffering sacrifice, would do for all of us. And just maybe... The wise man was now we're moving away from the manger scene and the stable, and now we can understand the sacrifice and suffering. Just maybe. Maybe we miss the fact that the Lamb of God was born, yes, to be a savior, but also to be a sacrifice. And it seems to me during this season, when we look at the birth of Jesus, we simply see a savior born, the Lamb of God, but he was born to die. And I don't want to be Don Downer or whatever today because it's not the intent because I think once we get through the message, we'll have so much more to celebrate. We'll have so much more thanksgiving and gratitude towards the one who came to be our sacrificial lamb, the one who was born to die so we could be born to live. Jesus, our sacrificial lamb, to which we might even say, and I was preparing this message, I was thinking, this is kind of more Easter-ish. I don't know, but the more I study, the more I discover that the manger and the cross are connected because you can't have one without the other. There may be a greater celebration fact if we understand it. You, you, you can't have a cross without a manger. Uh, you can't have a, a savior without a sacrifice. You, you, can't, you, you, can't, have a, you can't have a death without a birth. And you can't have, and I wrote it this way, you can't have redemption without a redeemer. And so the more I look at the manger, the more I see the cross. 
And my mind's just, and I called the guys later in the week and I said, I kind of have a manger. I don't know if we have one and where we, can we buy one? I'm just like, I can't separate the two. And it, it just fills my heart with so much gratitude and, and worship. And that's, what, and that's why I can give my life to Jesus. It's not because of the manger. It's because of the cross. But some of us want to live our life with Jesus in the stable. And that's why some of us don't give ourselves wholly to him because we don't realize that's just the start and the wise men are saying, you gotta get out of the stable and get and see the suffering and the sacrifice so you'll give your whole life to follow him. And maybe that's why it was a year and a half to two years later after the manger that the wise man that we lump into the manger scene presented the gifts to Jesus. Because we needed to find a way to get from the manger to the cross. And the myrrh spoke to the sacrificial lamb, the one that would be born to die. And so they came and gave their gifts as if to say to you and I, as amazing as the birth of Jesus is and was, and God coming to the earth in flesh and a star shining brightly in the field in the night, an angelic choir announcing the birth and joy to the world, peace on earth and goodwill towards man. Just maybe the wise men came along at a time as if to say, we cannot live in the stable. We have to come out of the stable. And when they laid their gifts at the feet of Jesus and worshiped him, it was more out of the one that would be born to die than the one that was just born. I don't know. The question is, are we going to worship the lamb of God in the stable or are we going to worship the lamb of God, the sacrifice? And I wrote it this way, and I know this could have a dual meaning to it, but stable lamb of God or sacrificial lamb of God? Because if this, if this manger, and I'm speaking to the world in general today because so much of the world celebrates the birth of a savior, which they could care less about, If this manger picture of Jesus is your dominant one, you're not going to follow him all the days of your life. But if you will walk with Jesus from the manger to the cross, and that's your dominant picture, (laughs) the one that was born to die so you can be born to live, I'll give my life for that. And these three highly educated, very wealthy, very important men who could stay where they were 900 miles away made a journey to offer specific gifts as if to say, this is the sacrificial suffering lamb of God to die, born to die so we can be born to live. And we can't miss that. You can't miss that. Their gifts said they didn't They weren't there to celebrate this aspect. They wanted to bring attention to another part. Why should I follow Jesus? Well, when you understand the magnitude of his suffering and his sacrifice, you won't casually follow him. When you understand what he did for us, the only reasonable response is to completely unholy follow him. And the wise men were saying, you have to go from the manger to the cross. You have to go from the stable to the grave. You have to go from a savior is born to a sacrifice is made. And so the wise men brought, we know, gold next week. We'll talk about it to the king of kings. We know they brought frankincense. We talked last week to the high priest who traded his robe of righteousness for our sin. And we have to talk about myrrh as they brought it, our sacrificial lamb symbolizing the one who would suffer and die. And when I look at the manger, I can't help but see the cross. And it doesn't take away from the celebration. It's kind of like, oh, I came for a Christmas message. (laughs) Because I believe it just makes it even a greater celebration of what he really did for you and I. 
the importance and power and benefit of his birth on this earth. And so when we think of myrrh that was laid at his feet, I think of the sacrifice that he was born to suffer and die. He was with his disciples. What does that look like? He was with his disciples in the garden. And he went to pray and they fell asleep and he was all alone. And in that moment, he felt overwhelmed with stress and anxiety, the pressure of what would happen to his life as he knew what was coming. And he falls to his knees on the ground and he cried out, my soul is overwhelmed, he says. And if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. But nonetheless, nevertheless, at your will, not my will, I will fulfill. And then one of his very own, we know later one of his very own or earlier one of his very own had betrayed him or would that night actually betray him. One of the 12 disciples that followed him betrayed him and falsely accused and unfairly tried, sentenced to death by crucifixion. He would be publicly humiliated in front of the multitudes. They would put a crown of thorns on his head and press it in and beat it at different times to pound it in. He he would be beaten and whipped, uh, stripes across his back. He was so disfigured, the Bible says, that he was unrecognizable. Then weak and suffering alone, he was forced to carry the cross piece of the cross, which could have weighed 150 pounds in his weakened state, a long distance. Seven-inch nails were driven into his hands and feet, put on a cross. He had to lift himself up literally to breathe. He was suffocating, just trying to catch his breath. And the most painful part is when the innocent one who had never sinned bore the sins of humanity, bore the sins of the world. He became everything unholy, everything despised, everything sinful, and God, the holy God, who could not look upon sin, had to turn away and pull away from him. Removing the intimate fellowship he had always had, he cried out, my God, my God, why aren't you here with me? Why have you forsaken me? And they offered him a mixture of wine and myrrh to dull the pain, but he refused because he wanted to finish what the father started. He wanted to fulfill fulfill what was prophesied. He wanted to feel it all. He needed to feel it all to be that sacrifice. He would finish the work that he was sent to the earth to do when he was born in the manger. He wanted to feel everything that we would ever feel. And he declared, it is finished. Into your hands, he said, I commit my spirit. And he gave his life for the forgiveness of our sins. And the prophet Isaiah, 700 years before this, declared what this child, this innocent one, that would be born in the manger, would endure on behalf of our sinfulness. Isaiah 53, back to our story, verse 8. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream, but he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone. He was innocent, but he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. How did the prophet Isaiah know 700 years before that Joseph of Arimathea, a rich man, would offer his tomb, his grave to Jesus This is amazing. Verse 11 says this. And when he sees all that, and when he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. That's what he did for us. And for a moment, what is it that sets Christianity apart from all other religions of the world? What makes what we celebrate different 
than all other religions of the world, than Islam and Hinduism and Buddhism. And on our travels, we've seen and experienced many of those things. What is it that sets it apart? It is the suffering sacrifice, an innocent victim. What separates Christianity from all other religions is that God would come in the flesh and live and dwell among us to be the perfect sacrifice, the spotless lamb, the suffering sacrifice. He would be pierced for our rebellion. He would be crushed for our sin. He would be beaten and broken so we could be made whole. And by the stripes he bore upon his back, we could be made healed. And the wise man who offered myrrh, a substance used to embalm the dead. And you understand God was foreshadowing what was to come. The Lamb of God that was to be slain for the sins of the world. And so Jesus himself understood. And he prophesied this of himself. He prophesied this in Luke 9, 22 through 23. Here's what he said. Here's what Jesus said of himself. He said, and he said, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed. And on the third day to be raised to life. Jesus himself prophesied this. The third day to be raised to life. What's interesting to me in that statement was this. Myrrh symbolizes an embalming fluid. He was born to suffer and die, but it was, it was never used on him. I mean, think about that. I mean, that's amazing. It was never used on him because he refused it to not dull the pain. He wanted to experience everything. And then once you embalm a body that speaks to the finality of death, but it was never used on him because all that happened in the Sabbath and they hurriedly had to take him off the cross and put him in the grave. And it was later when the ladies came to the tomb to prepare his body. It didn't need to be prepared because God always intended for him to rise again and power and provide life for you and I. There was a suffering sacrifice born to die so you and I could live through his resurrection power. And so the wise men brought myrrh, symbolizing he was to die, but it wasn't a final death because it never touched his body. And God rose him again. That's amazing to me. I I don't know how you see, I don't know if you can see all that, but it's all woven in there. One gift ties it all together for me. The one who was born to die so you and I could live, who refused myrrh to dull the pain so he could experience everything we ever would. And it never touched his body, speaking of a finality of his death because he was to rise again and therefore provide resurrection life for you and I. And that's what separates our belief system from others. Verse 23 says this. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple, my follower, a student of mine, must deny themselves. You need to die to yourself and take up your cross daily and follow me. He's saying you need to die to yourself. It's almost as if at Christmas, if you'll give me the liberty today, say it this way, it's almost as if the wise man has presented myrrh to you and I. Symbolically speaking, that we are to die to ourselves but yet there's not a finality in that because we will live for him forever. But what are you going to do with that? What are you going to do with that gift? Not just the gift of Jesus for sure, but what are you going to do about the gift that the wise men brought? That you have to die to self. That's part of it. In order to really live for him. In order to be able to follow him and serve him, seek him and serve him all the days of our lives. See, we don't follow the lamb in the stable. We follow the sacrificial lamb. We don't, we don't follow the one 
as we're talking about Christmas and the one, the Christmas story who was born of a virgin. We don't follow one who inherited the sin nature of an earthly father, but the one born of a virgin who inherited the divine nature of a heavenly father. He never sinned. What did he do? He went from the manger to the cross for you, for your life and my life. He was born to die so you and I could be born to live. That's the good news. That's the gospel. That's the gospel story. That's been given to us and charged and given charge to us to give to everyone else. That he was sent to this earth to a manger, born to die, so you and I could really live. That's the gift of Christmas. Eternal life. Following the Savior, who was the suffering sacrifice, who was born to die so that we could live forever. We don't have to just exist on this earth. We can walk in the fullness of all he paid for you and I. Forgiveness of sin taken away, exchanging his robe of righteousness, the innocent one, putting it on and covering and removing our guilty, sinful nature so that we can freely then live because of his sacrifice. The question is, will you follow him? Will you be content with just serving a Jesus in a, in a stable or serving Jesus the sacrifice? That's the question. We hope that you enjoyed this message. You can find more messages and information about Tree of Life Church at treeoflifechurch.org. We'd like to invite you to come visit us at 5513 IH35 South in New Braunfels, Texas. Or you can watch us on live stream. Thank you again for listening.